You think you've got issues? Hi, I'm Dr. Laurie Appel. Welcome to my podcast, where we will be talking about a variety of mental health issues because, you know, we've all got issues. Okay, so today we are at part two of the big five. Last podcast, we addressed the issues of lying and arguing. This podcast, we're going to be discussing how to set limits around electronics, appropriate consequences for breaking rules, and what to do when you and your partner disagree about parenting. Let's start with electronics, the big, big topic today. And it would be very easy to be black and white about it and paint electronics as all bad. But the reality is that electronics pose both benefits and problems. I'm going to get to the problems in a minute, but I want you to consider for a moment the benefits of electronic devices, such as easy access to information. Whatever you want to look up, whether the name of an actor that was in that movie or unified field theory, it's just a click away. Today, if I'm in a session with someone and they're on a new medication that I'm unfamiliar with, I can just look it up in seconds. Additionally, electronics give people who are less comfortable with social interactions a way to begin to interact. And I know that you're thinking that it just keeps kids from social interactions, but I would argue that kids who rely on virtual relationships would not be any better at engaging with others if they didn't have that available. In fact, for most kids with social anxiety or social inhibition, virtual relationships are a good jumping off point for beginning to engage in a meaningful way with others. So I don't think that the solution is to eliminate electronics, but instead to try to figure out how to use electronics in a manageable way that is life enhancing rather than life disrupting. Because electronics do have their downside. Recent research shows that the habitual use of electronics or anything that really gives us a rush of pleasure, can turn into a soft addiction, meaning that we won't necessarily see the physiological withdrawal symptoms, but that we will see a psychological dependence. Today, we define addiction as the continued use of something despite negative consequences. And how often do we see kids, and even adults, continue to use electronics in inappropriate or excessive ways even in the face of potential negative consequences, like trouble in school, being punished, legal problems, marital problems. So why do electronics become so addictive? The answer is that we get pleasure from its use in the form of a little dopamine boost. Dopamine is the brain chemical that makes us feel happy. It could be from so social media in the form of a like, or even the boost from a goal or a kill in a video game. And because this dopamine boost feels good, we just keep checking our phones or playing these games, hoping to get a little more of it, even in the face of negative consequences. And although this is not new stuff, it is different from what we as adults grew up with. Now, as a teen, I would be upset if I missed an episode of General Hospital or my landline phone wasn't working. But back then, we got environmentally imposed breaks from TV or phones. Today, we have constant access to the things that we can become addicted to. So how do we manage this problem? I think the problem is, is that no one really knows for sure, and also the solution is not the same for everyone. That being said, I do think that there are some general strategies that are worth considering. First and foremost, 
be a role model. That means put your phone down. Don't text in the car. Don't check your Facebook while on vacation or out for the evening. Don't post everything you do on Instagram. Another thing I advise is to stop just telling your kids to get off electronics. Offer them something to do instead. Like, say, let's go for a walk together without anyone taking a phone, or play a board game, or watch a movie together, all without our phones. Also, studies have shown that the clearest indicator of whether a person will become an addict is the age at which they begin their addictive behavior. The younger brain does not have the capacity to self-limit. So don't give in to peer pressure. Put off buying the game station or the laptop or the smartphone for as long as you possibly can. Also, gradually ramp up access to it. Rewarding efforts of evidence of mature and self-limiting behavior with increased use. This then is a win-win situation. Going back to what I said in my last podcast, don't just say no. Instead, say, let's work towards your having an Instagram account or internet access as you see that they are abiding by rules and limits. And these limits should include electronic free time periods for everyone in your family. And be consistent about it. Don't allow it some days just because it's a convenient babysitter when you need it. Make rules about use during dinner or while playing games or watching TV or even in the car. Whatever works for your family. Just be consistent about it. This word consistent brings me to the next big topic, discipline and consequences, as consistency is an important factor here. So most people think of discipline and consequences as punishment, when in fact discipline is really about teaching and consequences are about shaping behavior, which isn't necessarily about punishing. First, let's start with what behaviors you even want to address. Psychologist Dr. Ross Green suggests that parents put behaviors in one of three baskets. Briefly, those that are unacceptable, non-negotiable, those that are worth compromising around, and those that it's best to just ignore. Now, I like this basket approach because too often parents react as if all behaviors are equally intolerable. For example, Texting while driving, refusing to do a chore, or not wanting to wear a shirt with long sleeves are not equally intolerable. So texting while driving is absolutely non-negotiable. It's a safety issue. While bulking at chores is pretty typical of most kids and worth discussing and finding strategic ways to increase compliance. While not wearing long sleeve shirts is probably not worth arguing about because they will likely outgrow this kind of behavior anyway. So try to avoid having to even present negative consequences by reserving those for things that are really, truly unacceptable. And remember that the most important way to shape behavior in young kids is through modeling and setting age-appropriate expectations and limitations. If you don't want your child throwing tantrums or hitting, don't throw tantrums or hit yourself. Also, be clear with kids about what to do and what will happen if they can't abide by the rules. For example, when our son was little, we loved to go and play on the Thomas train sets at Barnes & Noble. So before we went in, we would always explain to him that the train set is for everyone to play with and that he would have to share, even his beloved James train. And if he couldn't do that, we would have to leave. That sets the stage for both what you expect and what the consequences will be if the rules are not followed. It's really important 
to prompt kids often with expectations. It doesn't work to just say it one time. You have to share. You need to remind them many, many times for it to stick. Also, as parents, we tend to focus on the negative. Instead, try to catch your kids being good, like good job sharing, or I really appreciated you cleaning up after yourself, or I can see how hard you worked on that English project. The biggest complaint I get from the kids I see is that they feel like their parents are always on them, ordering them, critiquing them, criticizing them, and that nothing is ever good enough. So turn that around and shower some compliments on them. Also, ignoring, as we talked about in my podcast with Desk Gabby Leone, can extinguish annoying behaviors as well. So don't forget to use this powerful tool. Along with redirecting, timeouts, distracting, taking away privileges, all work at various times. And you can easily read about all of these things with a sim- simple Google search. But I want to use this podcast to talk about three of the common pitfalls in disciplining that I see in my practice. And these are, first, the assumption that what worked for you as a kid or what worked for your other child will necessarily work for this particular child. As I've said before, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to parenting. Some kids respond well to just a timeout to get themselves under control, while others don't care if you put them in timeout. As parents, we sometimes get frustrated when we think the thing that we did with some other person will work with this person, and then we just ramp up the severity of the punishment or consequence. This has never worked in my experience. Instead, you have to try to think outside the box and find another whole approach to this situation and this child. And if you can't find a solution, get some help either from people that you trust or your pediatrician or a school counselor or a psychologist. Second pitfall, making consequences unrelated to what happened. The best way to learn, and discipline is about learning, not hurting, is to allow for natural consequences that make sense. Parents tend to just overuse one consequence, like timeout or taking away video games. Instead, try to be creative with consequences so that they fit the crime, so to speak. If they have used the video game when they weren't supposed to, then it makes perfect sense to take time away. But if they did something mean to their sibling, it really makes no sense. What what might make more sense is to have them apologize and do something nice for their sibling or do a chore for them or something, thereby teaching them that it's important to make amends to somebody you've hurt. Similarly, if your kid breaks a toy by throwing it, you don't have to punish them. You can simply just not buy another toy, and they will have to earn the money to replace it. This is a life lesson and not just an immediate reaction of anger. Over time, your kids will learn that if they want to keep their toy and save their money, they shouldn't throw their toys. Finally, many parents present consequences when they're angry. And they end up presenting really harsh consequences that they later regret and then fail to follow through with. Research shows that the most important aspect of discipline is consistency. This means that both the rules don't change according to your mood and that you follow through. And I get that this is really hard to do when you're really angry. But here's the thing. There is no rule that says that you have to present a consequence immediately. And often it's best not to, especially with teenagers. Instead, you can always say, I'm really angry right now, but I don't want to overreact. 
There will be consequences, but let's just let's discuss them tomorrow when I'm not so angry. This approach not only models for your kid to back off a little when overly emotional, but also allows you the chance to think about what happened, maybe get some perspective by talking it out with someone you trust, and then presenting consequences that are reasonable and make sense given what happened. When this occurs, you are much more likely to follow through with the reasonable and measured consequences that you want to present. All right, so finally, let's move on to how to deal with it when you and your partner disagree about discipline. And let me preface this by saying that it is even harder to do this when you are no longer with your child's other parent. But even in these cases, it is possible to work together and co-parent peacefully. The first thing to remember is that you and your child's other parent came from different families. I mean, I'm assuming this, of course. So that you come from different frames of reference when it comes to how to parent. The second thing to remember is that you're not always right. And I know that this is really hard. Third, it's sometimes a good thing that you and your child's other parent are not completely in sync because it is possible that there is some balance that needs to occur between your disparate positions. For instance, if both parents are super hovery and overprotective, you both might really struggle to allow your child some independence. So it's a good thing if one parent is a little overprotective that the other parent allows a little more independence, thereby achieving a happy balance. Now, the issue of being right relates directly to the first issue of your background. Most of us decide on how to parent based on our experience either feeling strongly that the way our parents raised us is the right way or feeling strongly that it wasn't. This legacy, loyalty, and or rejection of our past makes us feel very strongly about some issues that really hit an emotional nerve for us. And this often makes us defensive and unyielding. And it's important to remember that when dealing with a disagreement. One of the first questions that I ask parents when they're in treatment around parenting issues is how their parents would have handled it and how they might have felt as a child if it was handled that way. Just stepping away from the situation and reflecting on your past and your feelings can take the heightened emotions down to a level where you are in a better position to discuss rather than argue with your partner about a parenting issue. And be willing to compromise or just give in about the smaller issues. Think about this. If you want to raise your child to be a flexible person, which is an important executive function as it helps us adapt to the changes that we will necessarily encounter in life, you have to model flexibility. So try to practice that with your partner when you disagree. Now, all of this is even harder when you are no longer with your child's parent. It gets very tricky here. And there are some important things to remember, such as, If we are still bitter toward our ex, we will be inclined to see everything they do in a harsher light. Things we may have compromised about or tolerated when we were married are now battlegrounds. And this does nothing but hurt your child. Try to keep your child's best interest at heart. Separate your anger at your ex from differences in parenting style. And don't stress so much if there are some differences in the way you handle things. Maybe your ex lets them stay up a little later than you or gives them snacks that aren't organic or healthy. Believe me, your kids will be fine with these differences. They need to know that you are consistent in what you do, not that everyone in the world handles things in the same way. 
Believe me, parents stress so much about this and worry about these small differences or worry that your kid will prefer the more flexible parent. But this is just not how it works. Kids can adjust and be flexible and love both parents, even if their styles are slightly different, as long as the parents involved are adjusting well, being flexible, and showing care and respect toward each other. Pick and choose your battle with your ex. Save the arguments for really important life-or-death type situations. Ultimately, if you both have your child's best interest at heart, even contentious couples can work together. Well, that's it for the big five issues that come up. If you have other parenting questions, please feel free to leave a comment on iTunes and I will try to address it in future podcasts. Thanks for listening and I will see you next podcast. Dr. Laurie Appel is a licensed psychologist in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Her license and practice information is available on her website, lauriappelpsyd.com. All information provided on Dr. Laurie's podcast is solely for educational and informational purposes and is not meant to serve as psychological counseling. If you have personal issues you would like to explore, please contact a licensed mental health professional in your state.